Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. So we're, uh, we're really blessed. This next week we have uh, Joel Darno is going to be preaching. And Joel is, uh, man, the guy's an evangelist. He shares the faith. I would even call him an apologist on some level, an amateur apologist on some level. Uh, but he uh, he's going to come and just talk about the gospel, talk about how to preach the gospel. And uh, there's one guy I know who shares the gospel is Joel. And he's always telling people about Christ. And so uh, come back. And then we have um, uh, our very own Andrew going to share the message about making disciples and preaching the, the, the gospel. And as I say every single time, uh, Andrew speaks, somebody gives their life to the Lord. I mean, I could spend six years begging people to come to Jesus, and they're just like, nope. Andrew gets up, and he's like, duh. And was like, come to the altar. No, I'm just kidding. It's much more than duh. It's like, blue. No. No, I'm just kidding. He's awesome, and he brings a great word. And so I'm just going to start it off today and uh, start this quick, quick thought for you today. Uh, I want to share a scripture with you in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, and it says this, but you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be holy people, God's instruments, to do his work and to speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he has made for you, from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. Peter here is writing this scripture to the people of God. This letter was actually scattered abroad because there were people, uh, great persecution was coming upon the church. Philip had preached the gospel to, a, to, a, to a, a royal eunuch, got baptized, and then he began to go off uh, and preach the gospel. Churches began to be started, and there's persecution happening in the church, and Peter was trying to remind them of the life that you're now called to live. He's trying to remind them that you have been called by God, that you've been chosen, chosen, chosen. You've been called, called, called. That you, uh, he want, that you have been called by God to have a high calling as an instrument for the very kingdom of God. That no matter who you are or what you've come from or where you're at in your life, no matter your age, no matter your gender, no matter where you're at, uh, whether you're a male, whether you're a female, whether you're an old person or a young person, it does not matter. God has a specific and unique high calling on your life. You are chosen, chosen, chosen. And the scripture says, what are we chosen to do? To tell others of the night and day difference that he has made for us. And that phrase, tell others, literally means to declare, to, to, vol- to divulge like a piece of information. It, it has this idea of urgency. It's this sense of, oh my gosh, I just got to tell you this thing that I just found. I just got to tell you. It's this, this divulging, this publishing. It, it's to proclaim. It's, it speaks to celebration. The word means uh, a messenger of God. Well, Paul calls us a, an ambassador. Paul says we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead. Come back to God. That word ambassador, you know what an ambassador is? It's somebody who is a representation of a culture or a nation. He's saying, listen, you are a reflection of of heaven. You are a reflection of the kingdom of God. You are a reflection of a world that is not of this world. You look and act and think and talk and walk and dress and behave like like, like a person who is a citizen, not of the earth, but of heaven. You are an ambassador. 
We speak for Christ. You and I are individuals. If you are a follower of Jesus, you've been called, called to be a messenger, to tell people. And what he says here is to tell people what God has done in your life, how he's taken you from nothing to something, how you were rejected and now you are accepted. 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul calls this message foolish. In fact, that word foolish is the Greek word moronic, meaning you're a moron if you believe it. That's literally what the word means. The message of the cross is moronic. It's only for foolish people. It's a moronic message. It's a foolish message. It's a, a ridiculous thought. The message of the cross, the message of salvation, the message of the kingdom is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know that it is the very power of God. This message of foolishness is this this idea that that we are lost and and yet he became lost so that we might be found. This idea that that you and I were nothing, yet he he became nothing so that we could become something. You and I were rejected and so he experienced rejection so that we could be accepted. And you and I did, did not deserve God's love. You and I did not deserve God's grace. You and I do not deserve what God has offered us. We deserve hell and destruction. You and I deserve the very wrath of God. The very destruction of the living God. And this message, this foolish message that Jesus became uh, sin for us. He received the sin upon his back. And here's the truth of the gospel. That there is, and this is hard for us to hear. There is inherently nothing good in you. You are not a good person. You were born into iniquity. You were born a sinner. You are not good. I, and this rubs us wrong, does it not? (laughs) You're not good. Your nature is not good. You were not born good. Now, do we do good things? Sure. And as you follow Jesus, does he teach you and train you to do good deeds? And do you do good things in life? Yes. But inherently, deep in your heart, you have a sinful nature. I have a sinful nature. Our hearts are deceitful beyond measure. And despite the realities of our sin and despite the fact that we have no good in us, we needed God to save us. Look what the scripture says. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter one, for it is from God alone that you have your life through Christ Jesus. He showed us God's plan of salvation. He was the one who made us acceptable to God. He made us pure. He made us holy. He gave himself up to purchase our salvation. There is nothing in us that is good. And this is one of the greatest challenges and and damages in in, in the world today when it comes to preaching the gospel. This is one of the greatest strategies of the devil in the church today to get us to begin to believe that I am good and I really don't need God that much. We get, it's this greatest deceit of, of the enemy for Christians is to begin to get to a place where we enjoy the grace and the love and the blessing and the salvation of Jesus for so long we forget what it was like to be without God. We get into a place in our walk with God and we get into a place in our 
religion or our relationship, if you want to call it a religion or a relationship, whatever you call that, where we forget that it is God and God alone. There is nothing good within me. I am not a good person. My nature is sin. My heart is deceitful beyond measure. But God, but God in my life, but God's grace, but God's love, but God's power, but God. The reality is, is that it is not true that we have good within us. This causes often this to take the place of Christ in our lives. And here's the truth of the gospel. We are nothing. We were lost. We were rejected. We were destined for eternity in hell without God. We have fallen short of God's glorious sin due to our rejection of God. We deserve the wrath of God. You're like, man, I'm so glad I came to church today. We deserve eternity without God in hell. There is nothing that we can do to make, our, uh, to make it to heaven or to make it right with our God. There is nothing that we can do that will give us access to God. It is only because of Jesus. It is only because of his grace. It is only because of his love. It has nothing to do with us. It is not because of our merit. It's not because we're good people. It is simply unfolded because of the grace and the love and the power of Jesus Christ in our lives. Look what this scripture says in Romans chapter three, for everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Not a single person measures up to the standard of God. Well, that's a bit judgmental. Well, he's God. (laughs) God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin and people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past for he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in the present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness for he himself is fair and just and he makes sinners right right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No! Because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. This is the message of the gospel. And this message has power. This is the message of the gospel. It brings life. The message of the cross brings dignity. It brings hope. It brings a future to those who did not have it. The message of the cross gives self-respect to those who did not have self-respect. It gives eternal life to those who did not have eternal life. It told them that it doesn't matter where you've been and what you've done and how far you've gone and how often you've rejected God. God still came even in your sin and died for you to have a relationship with you. Christianity and the message of the cross is still the most uplifting, encouraging, life-giving message on the planet. And this is what normalizes us. This is what restores us back to who we were supposed to be. The cross and the message of the cross is what restores us back to what we were when God created us. He created us and formed us to be in relationship with him. Without the power of the cross and the power of salvation, we are destined to live a life thinking that I'm living a life that that I was created to live when in reality we were created to live a life where Christ Jesus is our Lord and our Savior and our lives are surrendered and submitted to him in his weakness and in his loss and in his lowest moments, Jesus died for us. So in the very simplest form, he called you. He chose you. It's very easy for us to believe that, oh, I chose God. No, he chose you. 
Well, I'll do it when I'm ready. Well, listen, he's choosing you. He's calling you. He's wooing you. He, he's, he's calling you out. He wants a relationship with you. He created you. He formed you. He has a plan for you. He all through your life, even though you don't realize it, he's been with you. He's been guiding you. He's been helping you. He's been calling you. He wants a relationship with you. Amen. I want to read two scriptures here this morning that just illustrate this reality. The first one we'll read is in Mark chapter, Mark chapter five. And it says this, when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one, would, no one could bind him anymore, not even with chains. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to, to, to subdue him night and day among the tombs and in the hills. He would cry out and he would cut himself with stones. Here's a man who has been tormented by an impure spirit his entire life and who knows how long it had been happening, but he was in such pain and he was rejected by society. He, they would, one of the ways that they would deal with demonic individuals was they would, they would nail them to a concrete wall chain with iron chains on their hands and their feet naked and they would be chained there for days and they would feed him like a dog. This man was so strong, they would rip the iron chains off of the wall. And he was not in his right mind. And at night, he would cry out at the top of his lungs because he was being tormented constantly by what was going on in his life. And in so much so that he would cut himself, trying to end the reality of his life, knowing that he was in so much torment and so much hardship and so much difficulty. Somewhere along the journey of his life, he opened his life up to the demonic environment and it began to torment him and oppress him and cause challenges in his life. And in the natural, he was being tortured by the rejection of society and rejection of those around him. And he was different, he was odd, he was weird, he did interesting things, he would cause trouble. But in the spiritual realm, this guy, he was filled with a demon. In fact, the scripture teaches us that he was filled, he said his name was Legion, for we are many. Theologians believe there was 2,000 demons in this guy because when he cast out the demon, the demons went into the pigs and 2,000 pigs that day went into the water. He was being tormented by the demonic activity in his life. He had opened his life up and give, given permission to the devil to come and it was tormenting him and causing havoc and problems upon his mind. Specifically, you'll notice in the text, it was specifically in the area of his mind. How his thinking was and how he looked at the world and thing felt overwhelming and anxiety and depression and fear and as he looked at the world, and so I've heard people, even in this last week, it's been overwhelming to hear people talk about their mental health when it comes to all this stuff and conspiracy theories and COVID and government and what's going on and war and just the sense of overwhelming, the sense of oppression. Something's not right in my mind and people being overwhelmed by this and they don't have Jesus to help them. And this man in this scripture was obviously challenged and we have to remember that there are people and you were at this place one time if today 
you are a follower of Jesus, it says Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news of the gospel. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. They don't understand it. They don't get it. They don't understand why we would need Jesus. Why would we need God? I don't get it. Why? Because there is a demonic, there is a demonic force, there is a devil keeping people from seeing the truth of the gospel. This man in the scripture was tormented and challenged. And this has probably happened to all of us at one time. Our lives were open. I've had times in my life where I've opened myself up to demonic activity, oppression in my life through uh, uh, decisions to continue to stay in a state of sin and not be repentant and not be open. There's been times in my life where I've experienced that. Even prior to my experience, my real experience with Jesus, I remember moments where I was tempted to kill myself or moments where I remember one time when I was a kid in middle school taking a knife, trying to cut my wrist because there was a thought in my head, your life is worthless you mean nothing. See, these tormenting in our mind is what the enemy likes to do to people and he tries to overcome them without the power of the message of the gospel of Jesus. They're tormented. The scripture says very clearly that Jesus walked up to him and he healed him, sent the the demons into the pigs and the pigs went off into into the water. And it says that Jesus was, the man was healed and he was now in his right mind. And Jesus was getting into the boat, and the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with Jesus, and Jesus responded to him. He did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Jesus said, listen, I don't want you to come. I don't want you just to follow, follow me and, you know, like, you know, just you and me, you and me, me and Jesus, you and me, me and Jesus, and just follow me. No, I want you to go. Yeah, good. I want you to go and share what I've done in your life. What is the night and day difference that he has done in your life? I want you to notice something. I find I've been reading through the Gospels, and I find this very fascinating. It said that all the people were amazed. It doesn't say all the people believed. See, it's not our job to get people to believe. It's not your job to save people. That's Jesus. Your job is just to tell about what Jesus has done in your life. Here's the question. Do you know what he's done in your life? Have you been in a church so long and been a Christian for so long that you have forgotten what he has healed you from? Have you forgotten what the night looked like because you've lived in the day for so long? One more scripture here this morning. The scripture in John chapter four, Jesus was going into a place where he wasn't supposed to go in Samaria. Samaritan woman came to draw water and she was in the middle of the day, which most women did it in the early morning. So she was obviously there because she was trying to get away from these other women. She was there in the middle of the day by herself, which was very uncommon. And Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jews don't associate with Samaritans. You're not supposed to be talking to me. I'm a half-breed. You would consider me a dog. Jews would consider Samaritans a dog. Why are you even talking to me? And Jesus continues. He says, Jesus answered her, if you, just, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, but the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? 
who gave us the well and drank from himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks the water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And they begin to talk and have a conversation. And then she says this, the woman said, sir, give me this water so that I don't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, go and call your husband and come back. Look what she says. Well, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What have you said is quite true, she said. I can see that you're a prophet. Okay, so I have six husbands. I see that you're a prophet. Now, that's really fascinating. Look at the very next verse. Well, our ancestors worshiped on this. She changed the subject. <laughs> our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but, you know, you just claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. She's like, oh, okay, let's not go there. Let's change the subject. Jesus continues. This woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything, everything to us. Remember, here's a woman who is living in sin. We don't know if she was a prostitute or she just was, you know, you know, marrying around or whatever it might be. We don't know. But all we know is this. She was in sin. And this verse here says that there was something in our hearts. I've heard about this Messiah. I've heard that he was called the Christ. I've heard that he's coming. When he comes, he's going to let us know everything. And Jesus said this, I, the one speaking to you, am he. And then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Come see this Messiah. They came out of the town and they made their way toward him. This was a crazy, I know you won't understand it today, but for this woman to go into the middle of the square, now this is gonna sound very uh, terrible, but for a woman to be talking in the middle of the day was not normal. And for a woman to get up to say, ah, he told me everything I've ever done. He, he knows about my six husbands. And all the guys, the six husbands are like, you know, she was so bold and said, listen, he knows everything that I've ever done, everything that I've ever said. Could this be the Messiah? Look at this. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the women's testimony. He told me everything that I ever did. She said, okay, Jesus, you know about my sin. You know about my addiction to sex. You know about my addiction to alcohol. You know about my greed. You know about my pride. He know about the things I'm facing. He knows everything that I ever did. Come and meet this man. Come, look what he did in my life. He knew all about my sin and he knew all about who I was, yet still he spent time and talked with me. Still he transformed me. Still he shared his life with me. She began to share the difference between what it was like to serve God with the night and day difference in her life. Look what Paul says. When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. Instead, I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. That Spirit's power is not talking about signs and wonders and miracles. It's just on the hills of him talking about the message and the power of the cross. 
come to my neighbors and my friends trying to, you know, a church service, trying to have eloquent teaching about this unique intellectual idea of who Jesus is. No, I'm just going to tell you, man, I used to be an alcoholic and now he's transforming. I used to be in all sorts of sexual sin and now he's redeeming. I used to struggle with anxiety and depression and fear and suicidal thoughts. I used to be down like, like God, far gone. And now I'm living a life of freedom. I'm transformed. I have joy. I have life. Anxiety is gone. My desire for the Lord is stronger. My relationship with my wife is amazing. Why? All because of Jesus. The night and day difference of what God has done in my life. Do you want to know Jesus? No? Okay. That's between you and God. I just want to tell you the night and day difference that God has done in my life. But here's the catch. Look what Paul says. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Think of what you were. See, this is the issue. This is the problem. This is the challenge, guys. This is the take home for you today. You cannot share the night and day difference that God has had in your life if you don't know the night and day difference. What has he done in your life? What has he healed you from? What has he restored you from? What has he done in your heart? What has he done in your mind? What has he done in your thoughts? What has he done in your marriage? What has he done? Okay, and once you identify, start telling people. Oh, you're having marriage problems? Guess what? I've been there, done that, but God came and restored my marriage. Oh, you're struggling with addiction? Hey, been there, done that, but God came and helped me out of that pit. He pulled me out of the muck and the mire and he set my feet upon a rock. He gave me a firm place to stand. Many will see and fear and they will hear and they will come to God because of the message, the simple night and day difference that Jesus has had in your life. And do you want to know what will happen when you begin to share this with other people? Guess what? You will grow passionately in love with Jesus. Jesus once again. It'll begin to percolate a passion in your heart for the Lord like you've never had before. It'll begin to stir a desire for the presence of God. Like why? Because you remember, oh my gosh, I remember how badly I need Jesus. How badly I need God in my life. Why don't you stand your feet? I want to pray for you before I let you go today. I just want to take a moment as we end our time together just mind just closing your eyes for a moment I'm just going to ask two questions the first one is what has God done in your life this is what I want you to think about today this is what I want to think about when you on your drive home what has God done in your life What has he done in your heart? What's he done in your life? What's he done in your mind? What's he done? What's he done? What, what has Jesus done for you? Second question today with every eye closed. I just feel like I need to ask anybody in the room today that just wants to know Jesus. Maybe you're not a follower of Christ today and you'd like to start a relationship with him or maybe you've fallen away from the Lord and you'd like to start a fresh relationship with him today. Come on, all you do is just put your hand in the air, put it right back down and I'll pray with you. Anybody in the room today want to give their life to Jesus? Anybody online? Come on, let's pray. Thank you, amen. Lord, right now we just pray today, Father, for those in the room who chose to give their life to you and rededicate their heart to you. Those in the room, those online today, God, we just say, Father, we ask you to forgive us of our sin and we repent, Lord, of our sin. And Lord, we turn to you today and say, Father, we need you in our lives. 
Would you come and take a hold of my heart, God? Would you come and take a hold of my life? My life is yours. We confess that you are Lord. We confess, Jesus, that you are God. And we declare today, God, that our life belongs to you. I love you, Jesus, today with all of our hearts. In Jesus' mighty name, come on, everybody said, amen.